Welcome back to Deep Focus. My name's Quaid, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick. How are you doing today, man? Decent, decent. Um, yeah, it's been raining so much. <laughs> I don't know if you've I had, uh, gotten hit by that. Yeah, and the thunder's been insane. Like, shaking yeah. the house. Kind of insane. <laughs> um, anyways, we have a movie that you chose, another Miyazaki movie, an underrated mm-hmm. one, uh, one that I had never heard of. Uh, mm. I, I've scrolled through his, you know, IMDb list, but this one has never stuck in my mind. Like the other right. ones I haven't seen have, um, you want to introduce it? Yeah. So we watched uh, Porco Rosso, as you might've seen by the title. And, um, it's a movie about a, I mean, uh, oh, uh, we spoilers, obviously. Um, and we assume that you've watched the movie basically as we're talking about this. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I think I I really love this movie. Um, I, I, every time I watch it, it kind of goes up the list of Miyazaki's films for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think it just, uh, it's so well done. It's really simple too. Um, yeah. You know, in terms of uh, how, I guess, the ideas are portrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that lends to it. Um, there's kind of an elegance where, with how he pulled off what he did in this film mm-hmm. um i agree but essentially uh it's about a a, a pig who is uh, sorry a human that's been turned into a pig uh yeah. who is um bounty hunter a bounty hunter yeah and it's it's like a post-war uh <laughs> post-war time uh fighter pilot who uh was part of the military but then became a bounty hunter right yeah it's post world war one italy um and the islands uh in the mediterranean uh right. surrounding italy he was a part of the italian air force um and he's become a bounty hunter uh and essentially he's protecting people from fighter pilot pirates who yep. <laughs> uh seize upon uh boats by the looks of it mostly boats uh, so it's this nice little fantastical element. Um, it's really fun. Yeah. Um, well, actually, that kind of leads into uh, what I um, what I think this this movie. One of the main f- focuses of this movie, which which is that he's a pig, right? And yep. um, it's it's kind of like agreed upon <laughs> by everyone. Like there, there's no one that doesn't know he's a pig, you know. But I I yeah. would argue that it is symbolism. Right. And um, I think that it's uh, – the story kind of falls pretty neatly into the category of magical realism, you know, where Mm -hmm. you have this very, like, mundane, realistic world and then you have just, like, one element in it that's just off, you know. And I would say that's different from, like, like Howl's Moving Castle, for example, that uses – like, it is – kind of a realistic world like it is sort of our world right but like so many of the fundamental things in it are changed you know like they have those flapper wing like uh, speeders i don't know if you've seen that one but it's it's oh and there's wizards and magic and stuff and it's like i think that that falls fairly into fantasy and i think this one being so mundane but having that one element um yeah yeah and like you know, they, they say that it's like a curse or something, but I think it it more has to do with like, um, 
like, and the funny thing is they never as? yeah and the funny thing <laughs> yeah. is they never actually show how it happened or really explain how it happened uh, right right well i think they sort of they, they sort of explain why it happened but like well, they, they had the whole they, heaven scene with the you know the heaven for the the or whatever you want to call that. I, I love that scene. Pilots. We should we should get to that in a bit. But, I know, um, but like otherwise, but, they don't really have a. Uh, well, what know, I mean is some like, witch came and cursed me type right, moment right. that you would expect. <laughs> right, right, right. But like, what I mean is like, I think if you take it as symbolism, as like how he sees himself, like the film is chock full of reasons why he sees himself as a pig. Oh no, I agree right. that that it yeah. is symbolism, and I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. in support of that, there is no moment, because uh, if there was a moment that we got to see a definitive moment where he was turned into a pig, you know, it would undercut the fact yeah. that we see it as a symbolism. Yeah, we we do see him break the curse at the end, though. Possibly, um, but yes, I, I, well, I agree. I, I think that's exactly symbolically like, yes, but we don't actually get to see it, which I love. Right, <laughs> they don't show us um but i mean the the enemy pilot was like wait what what's with your face yeah. let me see your face let right? me see your face yeah, yeah yeah um and then he's never seen he's never seen again which would yeah you know imply that he's not a pig anymore which we can get to this later as well but that's one of the right, things right. i wanted to say about this film is i love how much of it is not shown it's there's not it's not shown you know so many obvious things are not there that you would think might be there but also the things you want to see are not there as well. And that's almost even more endearing and more emotionally impactful. Right. Like right. Uh, we'll get to it, but like the whole love scene you're expecting between the two, you know, people who love each other from afar, we don't get it. Yeah. We don't get to see it. And we don't <laughs> even get in the ending monologue, whether or not it actually happened. We don't get to see him right. without a pig face, possibly and <laughs> fight, you know, right. We don't. So it's, that's great. I love that. Yeah. That's great. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think magical realism is definitely the way to describe this film, and I, th I think that like taking um, that that allows for everyone to acknowledge the fact that he's a pig. Like no one, no one really even questions it. They just they just see him as a pig, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, they treat him like he's a man, but they call him a pig, and so <laughs> right. the thing is, right? If if you're not being astute you might just think that everyone's just fine with a pig man but i think right. he's just known as a pig and we're getting the symbolic the romantic representation of him as a pig. right right so. um very, very similar to um to enemy by denny villeneuve yeah um in that right um mm -hmm. but yeah like I, I think i think we're seeing the the inner psychological workings of this character right and like all the imagery is his of his making yeah um which i love um i think um it, it's it's interesting too because he he also like it's he also doesn't kill people like he's such a yeah. he's such a good pilot that he can he can take down other planes without killing them yeah you know um and this is kind of shown in the end, at the beginning too, but at the end when he's having the whole like duel with that guy in the air and like he has yeah, him in his yeah. sights over and over and over and over and he doesn't take the shot. Yeah. You know, um, but. Um, the American cowboy character. It's interesting yeah. how many like American characters there were American Italians, 
mm-hmm. the American cowboy, and then just straight up Italians. And that was right. the, the cast. Right, right. Um, but this movie's pretty um contained too. Like, there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of uh, um, exploring done, which is a lot different from I'd say the other Miyazaki movies, which are very fast paced. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's like no uh subplots, you know, B plots in this. It's pretty much just Porco Rosso and his couple of his allies, really. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty linear story. Um. I like it. Yeah, like a and lot. yeah, I, th- I think that it it has more to do with like especially considering um our little formula for how we garner insight like it has to do with um his evolution into not not being a pig anymore right like to him mm-hmm. finding him himself and him finding his own humanity after after being kind of this like jaded uh uh like um fighter pilot veteran yeah you know yeah exactly um and it's i think it's a cool uh like i i think if people came at this from like a plot perspective saying like you know um oh you know actually that that, this reminds me a lot of uh blade runner 2049 Mm -hmm. right where like if if we were looking at this from like if somebody brought you the script of Blade Runner 2049 and was like, okay, here's here's all the things happening around here. And if you yeah. were like a heavy plot person, you would be like, why why are they not yeah, joining laughable. this? Like, why yeah. are we not seeing the synthetic rebellion? Right? Yeah, yeah, it's laughable. I thought this right. as well, literally thinking about what we were going to say here over the past few days. I was like, if you just read this script, it'd be laughable. You would almost, you like, I know that's uh, almost even arrogant, but if you didn't know Miyazaki's name was attached to it, you'd be like, what the fuck is this? This is so right. dumb. Um, <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah, yeah. it's about these intangible moments, these small little things that somehow Miyazaki can pull off. He knows how to match it with the music and do the animation in such a particular way that makes it endearing and entertaining. Right. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. And that goes along with what I was saying earlier about the missing moments. There's so many things from a plot perspective that you'd want to see almost paid off, but right. they're not even used. All these little things, they're almost not even MacGuffins, but they're just like MacGuffins, you know, plot is like in this movie, uh, the plot is essentially just a MacGuffin. There is <laughs> no, there is no, like it doesn't actually intertwine with the other elements of storytelling um, to, to, you know, have you know, pay off, you know, matched payoffs with certain other elements like a story or a character arc or anything. It's just uh very basic, mm-hmm. gets you, you know, push you forward. Um, you know, like the only element yeah. of it that I can really think is, you know, him having to fix his plane. That's really, you know, he's a bounty hunter and he has to fix his plane. That's there's the plot for you. And right. well, uh, I, the small other things that you can even think of like you know, a love story or so on, those aren't even paid off. So it's even like, are they a plot point or it's just crazy. I love it. Yeah, I, I think the the one plot point that matters is him uh, is him meeting Theo, right? The, yeah. the young apprentice at the like because that's that's what's inevitably inevitably going to end up um, showing him how to be a human again, mm-hmm. right? Um, and she she thinks the whole you know it's funny because he addresses the whole uh, what you might expect you know the whole backstory of him being like cursed or something and turned into a pig um mm-hmm. 
and uh you know he dresses it through her character and she's like well what if i kissed you you know like you turn back into a man but what's right. funny is that she sees him as a pig right that's the interesting thing and then she glimpses his actual face or maybe it's in reverse you know maybe she saw him as a pig and then he goes back to his normal face you know vice versa but that's an interesting moment well i, th- I think th- i think the because like in magical realism the symbolism is literal right yeah so I I do think that people do actually see him as a pig. Okay. You know, I, I just yeah, think I that just like think so. in this world, they, they don't bat an eye at it because that's not what matters. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, agree. Um, I agree. But like, it, it, that, that's what I mean in enemy where like you have like in enemy, you have this very strange uh, element with spiders, you know? And um, it's, I, I would say that it's like, well, it's spiders in the doppelganger and stuff. And we should probably do that movie at some point. But like to, to make a long story short, um, those elements do exist in the plot. Right. And mm-hmm. like do exist in that world. But the the entire world is symbolism for like one man's mind. Yeah. Right. Um, so like um, I've always thought that's that's a really interesting way to. uh approach something and i've always thought that um magical realism itself is a really interesting genre just because just because of the ability to kind of use um symbolism in such uh to kind of like intertwine it with the plot you know um because you know as we've talked about before I'm, i'm not a huge fan of um of like literal symbolism you know when when you when you are the character is having an epiphany and you know the clouds part Mm -hmm. (laughs) um because it's uh you know it it feels it feels too on the nose um but i think when when literal symbolism is used in a context where you know it is actually part of the world it's not just some symbolic shot kind of thrown at the audience right it's like it's this is baked into the plot Right. Yeah, it's part of the world building yeah right right itself yeah um i i'm i'm a huge fan of that because I, I feel like that that's a way to be able to use that kind of like literal slap in the face symbolism like making your main character a pig right um but do it in a way where like you know you're not trying to make yourself look clever or anything you're just you know you're saying that this is this is the story mm-hmm. right um and like i think the thing is like this story would have worked perfectly without that imagery right right but i think the imagery just makes it abundantly clear what the film is about yeah right um and i don't know i I think that's cool uh but uh i do also like um just going back to what you were talking about earlier with uh fio talking about how a kiss might turn him back into a human i do like that that actually ends up happening right yeah yeah, that's that's the moment that you know, it turns him back into a human. Yeah, but it's not, um, uh, even there, it's not necessarily that, you know, the princess kissed the frog. It's no, more no, than it's, in a sense like he sim- fought for someone other than himself, that he did an, an you know, an unpiggish action. Um, you know, right. Well, change, and I think, I think, I think it changes also has his self do, perspective. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it also has to do with how, like, how, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like, um, she, because she's a very like bright person right yeah. like like the 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 terrors of the war and stuff like they're not 
it, it's weird because she's not naive, right? Like those things, like she doesn't uh, not understand those things when she's talking about them, when he's talking about them earlier, right? Right. Like she doesn't, she doesn't like earlier when she's like standing up to the pi- pirates and stuff. She's not like just naive and stupid about the fact that they could kill her, you know, yeah. <laughs> or like kidnap her or whatever. But like, um, but she puts on this this brave face and like you know she says afterwards that her, like she starts having like a panic attack after they leave yeah right <laughs> um so it, it shows that she does like she does see his darkness right she does see like what he's talking about it's not like that flies over her head yeah right but she's able to be someone that's as bright as she is even though that exists in the world and she knows that exists that exists in the world yeah. right and like she brought all these people together and this is actually one big uh plot point I want, or this uh treatment point i wanted to talk about is kind of how like the the quarrels between the the like bounty hunters and the pirates seem to be like almost like rough housing yeah, right? yeah, yeah. like yeah they do get killed but but they're like it's not war yeah right and they can come together on like an island where they have a truce. They can they can like meet at a bar and drink together, <laughs> where yeah. they have a truce, you know, and then go back to shooting each other out in the sky, you know. Like they they don't see it as like a war thing, mm-hmm. right? And I just wanted to like point out how different that is from like the uh, fascist Italian government, you know, who are sending their secret police after Porcaroso, yeah, you know, and like that. I don't think any part of that ever had has the same like goofiness in the action. No. Right. Um, and I, I think that's, that's a really interesting uh, dynamic because like, you know, one side is a machine of war and the other sides are like, you know, they're, they're like, they know that they can die, but it's, it's not, it's, there's no like hard feelings. It's not, <laughs> Yeah. you know, like no, they, their, their integrity escaped. comes first. Yeah, what, what, what? they've escaped. They like escape from it, you know. They're like in a wild west. They're like they're free, right? Um, um, well, and how like Fio ends up bringing them all together at the end, and mm-hmm. like in the epilogue, you see them all as like old men hanging out together at the bar still, yeah. You know, um, after like their their time has come and gone, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's I, I would say it's a very very romantic take on, um. On, on like fighter pilots and pirates and like <laughs> which we know me you know. loves we know he's obsessed with the airplanes right, uh, right. and italy for whatever reason um, yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah no i like it i like it there's a that surreal element of these people sort of you know there's real consequences for their lives uh and what they're doing but you know, there seems to be a freedom, something that they love about it, as opposed to uh, what this could have been, you know, which is Porco Rosso fighting, you know, in or against the uh, Italian Air Force, you know. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I think. Uh, I think I I also think this this film has maybe the best music out of um, the Miyazaki movies, which is a, which is a hard I mean. Maybe not in terms of like an individual. <laughs> it's the song. one. It's the one that's the best currently, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. for the next well, few I mean, months like, in our minds. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just mean like I feel like every single song in this is so good. Like it's just amazing. 
uh, in terms of music the whole way through. And like, not to say that they're not in the other ones, but I think there was a, a very heavy focus on music in this one too. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, I think the romantic, like the romantic nature of like the pilots and stuff, like their whole world that they've created out there above the Mediterranean. Like, I feel like that's all encapsulated in the theme um, that Joe Hisaishi wrote. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you want to, do you want to play it really quick? Yes. Is this, uh, this is the theme with the thumbs up. I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to have a link for this uh, YouTube video in the description below. Um, we're also just going to put in uh, the music right now to the recording. Uh, so go ahead and listen up guys. And we'll be right back. the first yeah. minute and 45 seconds of the theme that we wanted to give you there i'm sure nick has so much more to say about this than me <laughs> in terms about the especially the craft but um you know well, what do you like i just it? feel i feel a strong sense of yearning in there yeah and, yeah you know no, there's, i totally understand that yeah and uh it just makes me think of the scene where he's seeing all his dead enemies and allies uh the fighter pilot heaven scene. yes <laughs> And it makes um, me think of the unrequited love of the woman. What's her name again? Who runs the the ooh, bar for all the gangs, yeah. uh, pirate gangs, and bounty hunters to hang out at? His love interest, yeah. essentially. Um, um, yeah. I do like the uh, the. Uh, hold on, let me find that. Uh, Gina, Gina's her name. Okay, Gina. Um, That's right. But. I do love the line that comes after or like the different interpretations, I guess, of, of Porco Rosa's like kind of vision of the, all the dead fighter pilots flying into the air, you yeah. know, cause, uh, Fio says what it's, it's, it means it's not his time yet. It was God saying that it's not his time yet. 
Yeah. And Parker also says, um, oh, I, I, I think it means that I'm like destined to be alone. Mm. Right. Um, but it really shows like they're, they're different. And the self-perception views. is there as well, because he talks, I think, once or twice about how it's always the good men who die, which you right, know, right. should tell you something about how he views himself. So. He views himself as a pig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but no, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, where it's, yeah, you have, I don't know. I, I think a lot of this movie revolves around like, um, kind of, kind of just like image of the self, I guess like maybe, uh, yeah, yeah. It, like image of the self. Um, and I don't know. I think it, it it's even touched on in other parts of the film too, where like, you know, you have, uh, you have uh Porcarosa sitting in the movie theater watching that movie where the pig's the villain. Yeah. You know. And he talks about how it's a horrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> and the other guy at the end, the army person, you know, um, at the end, he's like, Wow, this is a great movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And it's just small stuff like that that's throughout it, where you you have like you have different people's perception of the same thing, um, kind of met back to back with different interpretations. Yeah. You know, and like, I think people, people forget to do that in films, um, a lot, especially these days to like, give, give their characters like different perceptions of the same event. Yeah. Right. Um, they kind of just treat the event as like having an objective reality and then that's it. Well, you know, that, that relates and I won't get on my soapbox, but that relates. that's like a different (laughs) lens, um, of viewing something I talk about a lot, which is essentially the moral universe of your film, you know, mm-hmm. which is, you know, people should have different moralities and you should be able to show those and they should conflict and be different. And, and sort of what you're saying about how everyone has the same absolute perspective in a lot of modern day films relates a lot to that, where it's just a reflection of the mainstream, you know, proper mm-hmm. way of viewing things in the here and now. Uh, right. So it's something I'm constantly annoyed about. And you're right. That is something that he does, uh, Miyazaki. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Um, and I uh, just, sorry, just to backtrack back to the song though. Um, you're, you're right that I, I feel like it has this sense of yearning and ha- like, um, and like the fact that it reminds you of the, fighter pilots i I don't know like it's almost like it's almost like the freedom that all these people have is something that like they should yearn for almost you know like it's like i don't know like sometimes they seem miserable in the now but like it, it does seem like that moment that like you would look back on for the rest of your life you know as like with fondness yeah you know and like that's actually even shown with the American fighter pilot who went on to become like a film star. Yeah. And right? still writes Gina letters. and still writes well, everyone at the, at the bar. Right. Yeah. 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 What, what do they call it? The hotel or something? I don't know. It's a hangout. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. It's almost like the whole, their whole experience in this whole little thing before it gets shut down by the Italian government is, um, mm-hmm. it's almost like how a lot of people might remember their like childhood summers, you know? Like that's right, the kind right. of feeling. Yeah, um, exactly. So, 
Yeah. Uh, the it's called the Hotel Adriano. Oh uh, yes. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, it, it's this before the wind rises. This used to be his most realistic movie. Um. What do you know? What era this is in? Is this like nineteen? Is this like the nineteen forties? Like late uh, well, they don't exactly say that Italy's at war yet. I think they yeah, might. It, it, it seems to me like they're about to be at war, or like the war is. Oh, just you know what? Begun. Then it might. It's probably like the nineteen twenties. Well, I um, think like post. Yeah, I do know that uh, Mussolini, the fascist, took power pretty early compared to a lot of the other. Well, I guess just Germany really, um, Axis powers. Um, so yeah, it could very well be twenties. My guess though is it's late twenties to mid thirties. Yeah, um, I think you're right because I think it's yeah. right before the wars, you know, popping off. Because they're talking about war bonds too, so I think it's kind of right, like, right. I think it's no, right beginning sense. of World War Two, uh, and these people have like their little heaven, you know, their little heaven where they fight each other in fighter pilots, uh, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> that's sort of kind of separated, and the, the fascists want to shut it down. They want Porco flying for them or not flying at all. Right. So, right. Yeah, um, I I love that though. I, I I love the whole like secret police element. Yeah, you know um, these guys. His friend in the an air Air Force officer that's helping him. Right, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's the line when feels like trying to figure out what he did, and he's like, "I didn't do anything," and then she's like, "Well, that doesn't make any sense," and he's kind of like, "That's what I'm saying." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh yeah another one of my fi- this movie is has so many great lines but just uh i'd rather i'd rather be a pig than a fascist yeah yeah, yeah. in the movie theater i love, I love that one <laughs> yeah um but uh yeah um it is interesting that miyazaki uh miyazaki seems to think about that because that's in when rises as well He's kind of fascinated with those those governments in that time period. Yeah, yeah. Keeps bringing them um, up thematically. Well, he's I, he's very he's very like politically minded. You know. Yeah, that's um, true. I've seen some YouTube videos with him going on rants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think he's just he he. Like it's hard to it's hard to put him on the right or the left or anything because like you know Japan's a whole different yeah. ball game. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But like I think I think the main thing that he doesn't like is when people people don't um, think deeply about the issues, mm-hmm. you know. And like um, I remember, I remember he he had a um, he was highly highly critical of uh, Frozen when it came out. Yes, I um, remember that. I love yeah. that <laughs> sequence where he's just yeah. like forlorn. He's like. It's like a real misanthropic moment where he just wants to burn the world down after he's seen the movie. And yeah, he's just talking <laughs> about the the song, let, let it go. go. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. This this idea of um, essentially like pushing people towards nihilism, yeah. right? Saying like nothing matters. People people around you don't matter. Like just let it all brush off you, and you yeah. know. And I, I think he's a very big proponent of caring very much. You know, <laughs> if you can, if you can see his movies, like his characters care a lot. You know, I think that's one thing about all of his main characters is that they care deeply, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and I think I think seeing seeing a, seeing this idea of not caring anymore as the heroic revolution of the film, you know, mm-hmm. that that really probably kind of ground in the wrong way. Mm. You know, um, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. I, I think I I agree with him. I think I think caring is good. <laughs> yeah, I agree. You know, I think I, th- so. I think I think uh, cynicism. You know, it's ultimately uh, just a cop out. You know, not having to deal with it. Um, yeah. should we go on to the second song, my friend, that we wanted to sure. play? Since yeah, we're still well, in music land. Before we play it, I just I just wanted to say like this one. Um, I actually heard this before I ever watched the movie and I was so blown away by it that it made me watch the movie. (laughs) Um, But this is, this is the moment when um, they have just built the plane and they have not taken it for a test flight and the secret police are closing in on the building and all the women in (laughs) this Italian village get together to sneak Porcaroso out onto the, uh, um, onto the canal so he can take off. Um, yeah. And uh, their, their plan is to pretend that he kidnapped Theo and say that he skipped out on his bill. So they all just start running out and crying for their money back. <laughs> yes. As, as he and the secret police have this big old shootout um, mm-hmm. on this kind of, yeah, on this canal. <laughs> um, which, which leads to another point that we have actually brought up. These are all water planes as well. They're all, I forget what they're Oh called. yeah. Yes. But um, they all can land like water. I, I think they're just so, called seaplanes, right? Yeah, seaplanes. I think that's about right. Yeah. 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 All right. So it's madness. That's the name of it. There'll be a link, and we'll play it right now. Here we yeah. go.
All right. That was yeah. madness. He's so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I just, you know, if if someone came, if, if if someone came to me and was like, I need you to write me a song about one of the best fighter pilots in the world flying an incredibly difficult to use untested airplane through a canal while being chased by spies. Yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't know what to write, but like that, that is perfectly that moment, (laughs) you know? Um, But I think the interesting thing about um, Joe Hisaishi, and I've said this before um, on the podcast, but um, his, his ability to kind of use these, uh, these jazz voicings um, in a way that doesn't sound jazzy. Right. Yeah. Like when you, when you have those like big percussive hits, they don't sound like a normal, uh, like a, a normal kind of like basic chord. They sound like actually a little cluttered, you know? Right. Um, and it's because they're using these seven, nine, thirteens and like it, it, it turns it into this really complex, uh, sound. Right. Um, but you have a lot more to work with when you, when you get into those registers, but it's hard to make it sound natural. Mm. Right. Um, like a lot, a lot of, a lot of composers will touch on that. Um, like in a song, they'll, they'll kind of like use it to like lead into a new, a new space, uh, in the music, but Joe Hisashi sort of just lives there, you know? And I think th- this song is a perfect example of that because like there, there is, um, like if you listen to the song, I don't think anyone would call it jazzy, no. right? But like I don't know, like it just has it has those really complex voicings, and it's done in a way that like just sounds totally normal. But you've never heard a song like that before, you know. <laughs> you right. know? Um, which I think is great, and uh, you know he, he is he is like an absolute genius, and it's it's hard to to kind of replicate um that that kind of um uh that kind of style but um yeah i don't know what what, what do you th- sorry I'm, I'm kind of steamrolling here what, what do you think <laughs> no i like yeah. it i like it i remember the scene it's a good scene yeah i get excited every time every single time because i've seen this three times now every single time like they they start pulling open those doors and I, i'm like the song's about to start and like that first chord hits nice you know because <laughs> it comes in it comes in so abruptly too you know it's just like and i don't know it's such an iconic sound uh to start off a song it's just it's it's always it always really excites me mm. uh when we're leading up to that moment and just it's a, such a amazing ride throughout and uh you usually like i think uh you get like really generic action music during these kind of like action scenes yeah you know that just that just are meant to f- sound um that are meant to sound uh like uh stressful yeah right and i think this one just like it, it just all the characteristics of it come into play like like you can you can feel the the like you can feel that it's it kind of feels like a spy song you know? yeah but it also like if I told you it was like this really treacherous like basically uh this if it was like the Star Wars trench run but like you know <laughs> with an untested airplane yeah, yeah um you would you would you would see that too and I think that, that like having both of those themes kind of played throughout and having this like very kind of like uh uh 
it's a very percussive song too. Like there's, there's a lot of like a lot of the instruments are used as percussion percussion and like there's not nearly as much percussion as there are like percussive themes from other instruments. Hmm. You know, um, but I don't know. I, th- I think it's cool whenever jo- uh, Joe Hisaishi does anything crazy, uh, like uh, particularly like I also think of uh, the uh, what is it? It's like it's like the Death God song um, in Mononoke, um, and you've got that like uh, it's just like weird voices, <laughs> like. Uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. We'll, we'll probably do that movie at some point and oh, yeah, uh, show that song. But um, but uh, I, I like when when Joe Saishi gets away from just like creating a traditional song. And even though like that's always amazing, but like doing something like this where, you know, uh, it sounds so unique. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> very cool <laughs> yeah it's funny you know i i need to definitely learn more about uh the craftsmanship of music uh because I, if i would listen to that I, i'd be able to ascertain you know at least from my perspective whether or not i think it's quality and working but to be able to articulate the jazzy you know, elements and how it works in this way and that way and that's really useful yeah yeah i mean like i, th- I think with uh i, th- I think with music in particular it is kind of like uh films where like you don't really need to know how it works to uh to let it to like feel it yeah you know and especially when you're dealing with someone like joe hisaishi who does who is such a master of his craft and is able to um to chisel 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 away and simplify you know and um like it's it's not just um uh how should i word this um like it's not complexity for the sake of complexity you know? yeah, yeah yeah um but it i think knowledge on the, the matter does even sometimes get in the way especially if like you know the knowledge isn't uh isn't rooted in like actual performance or actual creation. Well, here that's yeah. very interesting you say that. Is there something more you want to say about this song? Because that leads pretty perfectly into sort of the major and, and final thing I have to say about the film. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, similar to what you're saying there, it's almost, you know, very close to our take on criticism, which is it's kind of dumb because uh, – you know, the inside of the film, the meaning of the film is wrapped in, uh, wrapped around, you know, the craftsmanship of filmmaking itself, you know. So to rebuke a film or to challenge the inside of a film would most properly be done, you know, by making a movie. Right. Uh, and this relates to things that I've said before um, about romanticism. And after watching this mm-hmm. film, I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about this movie because this movie made me realize that Miyazaki is like an incredibly romantic filmmaker. And you've even used that word mm. several times tonight describing this film. Yeah. And it just kind of it blows my mind because you, if you, we can sit here and we can articulate pretty well uh, the insight of the film, 
But no matter what words we use and convey um, the insight as we see it, it will always fall, you know, a thousand percent short of simply just watching the movie itself. Right. The film itself uh, has that, you know, that um, inarticulable, you know, using language uh, ability to convey a powerful emotional resonance in those who are watching it. But the emotional resonance isn't just emotion for emotion's sake, like you might see in a bazillion Hollywood films that are just trying to, you know, get you some sort of uh, dopamine high. It makes mm-hmm. you feel different. You know, it makes you feel like what's in you, you know, your spirit, your consciousness. It makes you feel like you've you've actually taken on the lesson of something. It's like a right uh, without being able to articulate it in terms of language. Um you know, well, you can, but like I said, it would fall short compared to the feeling, compared to a sort of the experience and how it transforms you eternally. Right, um, right. No, I, I agree. I think, I think, I think, like a lot of people have kind of a completionist um, attitude towards media these days. Yeah, you know, where they where they just want to like, like, I mean, I I know some people that even just like watch or like look up uh, plot synopsis um, about a film just to like, you know know what happened in it so they can bring it up in conversation and i'm like that's i've always felt that it was not the same yeah because like you said like it, like the the words can't do it justice I, th- I think like i think what can help is like you know if someone's like totally lost on the inside of a film if like someone tells them what it is and then they rewatch it like kind of in in, in the uh like with that um uh, framework in mind yeah you know I think that can drastically uh, help. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I, I think you know, I've even experienced this when, like, if I watch a movie in utter confusion, it can kind of ruin the uh, the experience. No, know? absolutely, yeah, um, absolutely. And with 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 some movies, like, like for example, I think Tenant uh, was way better on a second watch. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was an experience on the first watch too, but the first one felt like a kind of a bit more of like a cheap mystery thriller. <laughs> you know, um, the second watch felt like a full bodied Nolan film, you know, um, and like just, I, I, th- I think that sometimes the, the framework can help, but I totally agree with you that like, there's nothing like watching the film because the film is, um, the film is the experience, right? It's it's the it's the insight turned into uh, in, into the experience of someone yeah. who has lived it to be able to like say that that insight is true, right? Um, yeah, and, and what's what's even uh, unique about Miyazaki, even compared to other filmmakers or great filmmakers. Is that I, you know, what I'm saying here is that I honestly feel like he is romantic, like whether he knows it or not, like he's a romantic philosophically in terms of how he creates his stuff, because it's essentially by design. There are other films that you could watch from even great filmmakers, and it's not you can the insight could even be frankly articulated in the film. I think even Fincher, I mean, think of the end of seven. It's it's articulated bluntly and in language for you and it works great don't get me wrong but yeah by design in Miyazaki's films uh, it's something that's felt it's something that's experienced and it has a deep resonance in you and yeah you can definitely go back um, if you didn't get it the first time and so on I'm not saying that 
at all. But, um, um, it's just, uh, you know, and I, I find it, um, I just find it spectacular that something like that can be done by design. And especially you even used the word simple early on. I know that over the past, you know, 10 episodes, we've had, uh, uh, a pattern of using this word and not wanting to use it because it's kind of negative, but um, yeah. we're just, but you know we don't mean it negatively. The way he does this, it kind of blows my mind because it's like you, it's you know like imagine if magic was real and you were studying how to do like some insane spell or something, mm-hmm. you know, and then some guy just sort of shows up and does it without all like these symbols on the ground and. It, it's so um, effortless. It, it's, it looks effortless. And that's what I sort of mean by yeah. simple. Um, yeah. And it almost seems like it was, go- it's going back to what I was saying earlier about reading the script. Like you'd read the script and you'd be like, yeah, you yeah, like, this is dumb. Like it's so, it's so on the nose and blah, 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 blah. But when Miyazaki makes it and he animates the small little intangible moments and the little idiosyncrasies and then, he works with, you know, Joe, uh, what is it? Hishashi. Um, okay. I'll call him Joe. (laughs) Um, you know, and he puts it together. It just works. It works. And it's something that's felt, um, rather than interpreted though. You can of course interpret it. Um, right. Well, I think every, every great film is felt first. Um, But like by design, though, it's insane because you don't see it all the time by design and especially not necessarily today. Um, And that's insane because that's the kind of magic I would like to wield. Um, (laughs) Right. Um, Well, I think I think I think the unfortunate thing about modern uh, modern film is I've been thinking about this recently just is is that. um, We talked about excess in the in the Batman episode and like how that's kind of uh changing the motivations of hollywood you know hmm. but i think i think also a, a big issue too is just that a lot of a lot of the film financier financers have like uh a lot of power now um and they generally tend to hire people that are uh like from corporate from marketing you know and they those people do what works you know and they do what works without thinking about the artistry behind something. And, you know, it, I think, I think it's, that's why it's so few and far apart these days to find artists that, uh, that truly embody um, what you're talking about with like, who can wield this like magic that intoxicates, you know, the world. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like, that that's what they want, right? They they want that, but like I think I think they've found that they it can't be reliably constructed um unless you're Miyazaki. Yeah, unless you're Miyazaki. Right? Um or you know, some other great director. And like I I don't know. I, I think that like they they have found a measure of success that's acceptable. You know? Yeah. And unfortunately that's enough for them. And yeah. I, I think that like you're you're completely right that like this this kind of magic is you know it's going to be a sad day when you know Miyazaki truly finishes making movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, 
I, b- I believe there's still another one being made, right? Yeah, there is. Yeah. Didn't it, it, didn't it um, like develop out of that caterpillar short film he was doing or something? I I don't think it developed out of that, but I think that he did that and decided during that that he was going to make another movie. Good. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I don't know if it's. Uh. I don't know how far along it is or anything like that. But. Um. I really do hope it. He finishes it, and you know we've. He's said in his documentary that his greatest fear is to be in the middle of a project and die. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think he, I think he should, <laughs> he should have never like taken those years of retirement. He should have just kept trucking along, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and instead of uh, instead of quitting because of that fear, maybe he should like maybe he could have developed some sort of tactic for. Um, helping his studio finish should the worst come. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, you know, it's funny because we were talking earlier about how much he cares, but I also sort of call them a misanthrope sometimes. And it's funny because I think that goes hand in hand. Cause if you really care about things, the world and so on, um, your first point point of contention is going to be other people. Cause it's, you know, apparently obvious that they don't, you know, they're watching, frozen and saying you know and making let it go be a number one charter you know that that kind of thing right right? um because uh and i think you know i don't think he has the best opinion on the upcoming generation of filmmakers i think that's putting it lightly in fact i think i remember (laughs) in that documentary he saw his son's first feature film yeah essentially ripped it to shreds yeah so I don't think he's got a backup plan because I don't think he's got faith in uh, <laughs> in uh, the young generation. But uh, yeah, I well, think I mean, he'll make it. I think he'll make it. So I don't know. Like I, I think a lot of people would say that he's he's wrong for doing that. Um, but I think I think people is these days people need to need to take a note out of Miyazaki's book and like really understand that like he does that because he cares. Yeah, exactly. Right. And like, he doesn't, he doesn't care about the, like, he doesn't care about the feelings right now. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think he definitely believes that like the person that doesn't really care about you is the one that lies to your face and makes you feel good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and he would never do that to his son. And I think that that's the mentality that he takes on. Yeah. Know? And that kind of ruthlessness, that kind of discipline is also you have to imagine what he's applied to himself. Um, right. And that's what it's taken to, to get to where he can wield this magic. Um, it, it reminds me of, you know, being at film school and having the one teacher that was willing to say negative things to people's faces. And there was like a revolt and all the students wanted to get him fired. I really liked him. Right. But uh, <laughs> it just reminds me of that, you know, and uh, how much yeah. I liked the guy that was willing to say that what you made is shit. <laughs> So. Right. Well, and, and yeah, we we just I think we have a culture that thinks it's better to make people feel good in the moment, even if you're lying to their face, you know. Yeah. And I don't know. I think I think it's more it, it's the more rare person that would sit down and say this is terrible, you know, like you did you did a bad job. Yeah. Um. And it, it's more of a like if if you see. If you've seen any of Miyazaki's movies, you know that he's he's very much the type to teach a lesson, right? Yeah. 
And like if if he did not feel that his son's movie was up to par, you know, with what he thought his son was capable of. Right. Yeah. And there was some reason, like perhaps like ego being Miyazaki's son that like led him to not live up to his potential. Like the one the way that you would shatter that is by walking out on it. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe his son will never make a <laughs> like never want to make movies with him again or whatever, but like, you know, maybe maybe ten years down the line he'll make some amazing films. Right. You know, and we'll never know. Like, it's hard to say for sure, but maybe it wouldn't have been possible if uh, his dad wasn't an asshole to him in that moment. Yeah. I got to watch it. I got to find this film and watch it. Um, Yeah. Great. Well, Miyazaki, um, Porco Rosso, uh, Magical Realism, Miyazaki, the romantic filmmaker, in terms of romantic philosophy relating to art and how to uh, prove something, how to, you know, art can be used as a way of proving a truth um, that's felt rather than explained and measured. Um, yeah. yeah. Watch it. Yeah, Watch Parker sure Rosso. If... It's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if we'll be able to find an interview in English. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, We'll see you guys next episode. Bye. Bye.